let's pray and uh, I'm going to pick it up um, with really the Lord on the cross and He dying on the cross and we'll go from there um, in this second session. Father, we come and commit our time to You. We thank You again that Your Word is full and it is true. We thank You for what we heard earlier and uh Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The whole theme of this uh, one-day seminar is kind of more to do with three days that change the world. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about days that change the world. I mean, uh, Monday, I, you know, maybe that changed your world when Facebook and uh, Instagram and all those things kind of were offline maybe for six hours, however long it was. Um, maybe that changed your world. Probably did. Um, there's been some other big days, you know. I think back, I'm trying to go backwards now, you know, trying to relate to the different generations. I think, I thought, you know, maybe when the iPhone was invented, a computer in the hand and in the pocket, that changed the world. I think it's still changing the world uh, in ways. But before that, perhaps two or around that time, and most, uh, many of you weren't born then, but, and we just, remembered it, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I mean, that definitely was a day, if you're from the United States, you would never forget if you were alive at that time. Um, that changed the world. And, you know, going further back to when you definitely weren't born or alive or uh, knew anything at all. Not that you know much. No, I'm just joking. Um, for me, as a little kid, 1969 stands out it's a massive day that was the day that neil armstrong walked down that ladder and made the famous statement one small step for man one giant leap for mankind and he stood on the moon i mean that was an incredible moment I remember being a little kid in england watching it on a black and white grainy tv and i was wondering what was going to happen he's going to sink and disappear uh but he didn't I should have thought of that because the space capsule that he was in was sitting on the moon, so he wasn't going anywhere. Um, but it was like, oh no, the aliens are going to take, what's going to happen? And he stepped, what a moment. You know, you look up at the moon and you think, you try to get up there. You try to land on the moon. I mean, what a, what a moment in history. I, I think to me, that has to be one of the most uh, incredible achievements of man. Going back further, and again, uh, I spoke about this recently to the, some of the students. You know, 1953, uh, um, Edmund Hillary got to the highest point on the earth, Mount Everest. Now, many people get up there now, but at that moment, at that time, it was incredible that he and uh, another man reached the summit of the highest point on earth. Incredible uh, achievement. What a day uh, celebrated around the world when the news um got out. And one last one, perhaps this doesn't mean much to you, but now because it's not so vital, but I think it was about 1956, I could be wrong, but um, Roger Bannister, anybody know who Roger Bannister is? Who's Roger Bannister? See how much it affects your world. Mr. Nuremberg, you know who Roger Bannister is? Uh, the first, well, I've got one man that knows it. Um, the first man to break the four-minute mile. I mean, that was an incredible achievement. You try to run a mile in four minutes. Uh, it, you know, you're not going to do it. What's your fastest mile, Stephen? Five. You try to break it in four. It was an incredible moment in history. What an achievement by, by 
you know, this person, I mean, he was pulled the whole way with, with guys helping him get around. He broke it. I think it was like 3 minutes, 59.2 seconds. I mean, just, but he broke it. Four-minute mile was broken. Um, incredible moments in history. But these three days didn't just change the world. They changed eternity. And I want you to, as we heard a little bit this morning, I want, to, I want you to see the bigger, massive picture. These changed eternity. Uh, and this was from God's heart. These weren't man-made achievements, as we've spoken of perhaps already, but these were from the heart of God. Now, I'm using this scripture just to kind of give us the distinctions here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4, just breaking into both. But that Christ died, that's the first point we want to think about this morning in my session. Christ died. He actually died. Literally, physically, He died. you got to get that. He died. He didn't just kind of die, or maybe he died. He died. He was dead. Okay? And the Scripture states that. And he died for a purpose. He died, it says, Paul says, for our sins. Plural. He died. He actually died. That's our first point we want to think about. According to the Scriptures, that simply means it was foretold in the Old Testament. God told us this was going to happen. This wasn't, again, a coincidence or... Uh, This was from the heart of God, according to the Scriptures. It was foretold, number one, that Christ died. And secondly, that we want to cover in my short session, that He was buried, that He was placed in a tomb, that He was buried. He died and He was buried. And those are the two points we want to think about. And then Mr. Nuremberg will come along after the next uh, small group at about 11 or so. And that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Again, it was foretold that he would come back to life. He would conquer death because Christ died. Did I mention that he died? He actually died. Um, and that's important for you to realize that. It's important for me to realize that and, and, and uh, remember that this morning. According to the scriptures, he was raised. Now, I'm not going to move into that at all, but that's something we want to think about. Mr. Harris went into the uh, Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to mainly be in the Gospel of Luke. The three, the two events we're going to talk about, Christ's death and the fact that he was buried is mentioned in Matthew, it's mentioned in Mark, it's mentioned in Luke, it's mentioned in John, and uh, there's bits of information um, that are similar, and then some of the Gospels fill it out more. It's a great way to look at it and, and, and uh, view it. So um, we're going to read, though, and think about the background to Luke chapter 23. If you have a Bible, you'll see... There's a paragraph there, 44 to 49, where it states to us that Jesus Christ died. So let me get there in my Bible. If you have a Bible, it's good to check it out. Um, He's on the cross. He goes on to the cross at about 9 o'clock in the morning. He's on the cross about six hours only, really. It's now the sixth hour, chapter chapter 23, verse 4. It's now the sixth hour. And in that context, our understanding is 12 noon, okay? So on that day, he went on the cross at about 9 o'clock in the morning, and in and it was now the sixth hour, it says to us, 12 noon. And something happened, something dramatic happened at this point. And the text tells us, and darkness came over the whole land, not just over that area where the Lord was on the cross, not just Jerusalem, but over the whole land, darkness came. 
maybe, oh, I don't know, three, four years ago, we had a, an eclipse here. If you were around, not just in Greenville, but around, we were at uh, a place not too far away, and there was a stream there. And I remember, like, it was kind of, I've never had that before in my experience, you know, the, the moon goes exactly over the sun. And at that moment, behind us, the stream, all the frogs started going, they thought it was night. They didn't know. It got that dark. Like night, and then you watch the the moon, and slowly it goes, and then uh, they must have been so confused, the poor little frogs, um, because then it was the morning again. Whoa, that was a quick night. Um, but it it wasn't super dark, but it was you know it was like early darkness of an evening. But this is more dark. Now they don't have electric lights and so on, so something happened, and for three hours it was dark. Three hours. I want you to kind of picture the background here. So darkness came over the whole land, not just over uh, where the Lord was on the cross, not just in Jerusalem, but the whole land, it seems, that darkness came over it until 3 o'clock about. And some, I'm not going to go into all that took place there. It says to us, why did that darkness come? And Luke says, because the sun stopped shining. That's why it was dark. I think if it suddenly got dark for three hours, like right now, it would be a little nerve-wracking to say the least. Like, what is going on? What happened? Okay. It wasn't a thunderstorm, and, and it got dark, it says, because the sun stopped shining. And a few things happened. There was a big earthquake. Lots of rocks began to split. People kind of came out of these tombs. And Luke at least tells us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And from other scriptures, we know that it was torn from the top to the bottom. Okay. This curtain, we don't know exactly, but it's probably at least four inches thick. Uh, you know, sometimes you want to tear your t-shirt up for a rag, and you just can't get it going, you know. And, uh, and then you bite it, and then you get it. I'll show you who's the boss. Um, but this curtain was about four inches thick. And it was really high. It's estimated, again, it's not like you could just reach up there and tear it. You had to climb up to get to the top of it. But this curtain tore in two. And it's important, around about 3 o'clock, as they're getting ready at the temple, with all these parts over land, the curtain tears. It must have created chaos. And it tore from the top. And it wasn't just a small thing. It tore from the top to the bottom. Okay, so that's some of the events in verses 44, 45, and then 46. At that moment, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. This is the last statement that he makes at about three o'clock, it says. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last and he was dead. He was dead. So we're thinking about the death of Jesus Christ. And I, I don't want to make light of this. And again, as I was preparing, I was uh, a little nervous about doing this just because I didn't want to be in any way um, irreverent. Um, but it's important to stress that Jesus Christ died because when Mr. Nuremberg comes in a little while and speaks about him rising from the dead, it's a traumatic event. If you carry on in Luke chapter 23, verses 
44. This is, takes us to 46. We come to, as Mr. Harris gave us three people, Luke gives us three groups of people. He gives us the centurion in verse 47. He speaks about the crowd, the Jewish people around that were watching what was going on. And then he speaks about some friends, probably some, some, some of the disciples, and then some of the ladies uh, that were wanting to care for the Lord. And let's look, if you have, I don't have all these scriptures written out, but I'm going to read verse 47 to you. Let's think about the centurion. It says this, the centurion, verse 47, seeing what had happened, that is, that there was darkness over the whole land and that Jesus Christ had died and committed himself to the Lord. He had seen the earthquake, had probably known of these rocks splitting. The centurion, seeing what had happened, he praised God and he said this, Surely, this was a righteous man. He became convinced who Jesus Christ was. In two other Gospels, it says something else besides him being a righteous man. He didn't just say that. He said, surely this is the Son of God. Now, a centurion is a uh, Roman soldier who's in charge of a hundred soldiers. Okay, sentry, centurion. He has these soldiers with him. Probably he didn't have all of the soldiers with him at that time, but he's a well-respected man. And uh, he would have had a lot of experience. And he becomes convinced at this death, because he would have seen the trial or the mock trial. He would have seen all these things going on. He would have seen how the Lord didn't react and he didn't fight back. And he kind of laid down his life. It must have had such an impact on him. He became convinced that he was a righteous man. In other words, there was nothing wrong in him and that he was the son of God. That's incredible. The crowd, the crowd around, and this is just, we're going so fast through this. Verse 48 says this to us. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight, that is the crucifixion of the Lord, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. They smacked their stomachs like that. And, and most commentators see this as there's some kind of conviction going on. Like what is going on here? Something, and they were leaving, it's three o'clock, they needed to get back into the city, to the temple, because it was the day of preparation, and the Passover was coming, and they needed to get back there. But something happened in their hearts too. And there was some conviction. They probably all hurried back, they needed to get back, and when they got back, they probably heard about the curtain being torn in the temple. And then verse 49 is an interesting verse. It speaks of his friends, those who knew the Lord, who were intimate with the Lord. It says this to us. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance and they watched these things. John MacArthur particularly goes into this and it speaks about them being somewhat confused. Well, what does this mean? What's happening? They were kind of confounded. Some think that they stood at a distance because it was dark and, and, and it seemed as if there was going to be some judgment coming and they didn't want to get too close to the cross, but perhaps they misinterpreted the fact that God wasn't going to punish the centurion and he wasn't going to punish the crowd. His wrath came upon his son. They watched. They, they weren't sure what was happening. And I, I want to bring that point up just briefly because sometimes we, we hear things about Christ being crucified. 
him dying, him being buried, him being raised again. And we walk out of here in a few hours and we're like, I don't really, what does that mean to me? Mr. Harris brought some of that out. But what does that mean to me? Don't leave here like some of these friends confused about what does this mean to me? So these friends, they, they were kind of, they cared about the Lord, but they stayed at a bit of a distance. So this is the death of the Lord. This takes place, and, and there's three people there that we can think about. But he does die on the cross, and we know that. I want to get to this point. We have to go real quickly here. Part one, the burial of Jesus Christ. We carry on in Luke chapter 23. The next following um, seven verses here, 50 to 56, we meet one man, Joseph of Arimathea, and he comes boldly to Pilate. We met Pilate earlier, and he asks for the body of Jesus. And in John's gospel, we know that Nicodemus, who we probably have heard about, comes as well, and he joins Joseph. Now, Joseph and Nicodemus weren't part of the friends that we just mentioned, um, it seems, because they were prepared. Nicodemus had up to 75 pounds worth of uh, um, herbs and spices, and they had bandages to wrap the body. They were kind of prepared. Joseph comes and he asks Pilate for the body, and Pilate is surprised that he's dead already. He checks with a centurion, and he says, yep, he is dead. We'll take him down. You can have his body. It's three o'clock or so. Now, both Joseph and Nicodemus were going to take this body, and they were going to wrap it in linen and spices, and they were going to place it into a new tomb. There's a lot of imagery there. But what I want to get to very quickly is three words that would describe Joseph, perhaps would describe Nicodemus. There was a readiness, there was courage, and there was a heart to serve. It's an interesting picture to consider that when Jesus Christ was on the cross and all his enemies were against him and they God allowed them to, in one sense, put him up there and the Lord laid down his life. And uh, But once he died, none of his enemies touched him. Only his friends. Now, there's something to that that we need to think about. But when the work was finished, God pouring on the Lord Jesus Christ all of our sin, only His friends would bring Him down. They would wrap His body and they would put Him in this tomb. Many make much of this new tomb. A convicted criminal was not given the right to have a normal burial. That was the Roman law. They weren't given that right. But here, Joseph had a new tomb, and it just happened to be in that place, and that's where they put the Lord. And many picture that as, as a sense of Jesus Christ, his con condescension going down, yet royalty. But the tomb couldn't hold him. We know that. We'll see that. And much make note of this to us as well. Joseph and Nicodemus must have believed because they were about to touch a dead body. And they were going to put that dead body in a tomb. And that would make them completely unclean to take place in the Passover. But they didn't need the Passover. They didn't need a lamb. 
that we're going to handle with the Lamb of God. It's amazing moments here in the burial of Jesus Christ. They would discover, they had discovered, if you like, forgiveness in the Lamb of God. Going quickly, part two of his burial. Only Matthew records this for us, so we have to go there for it. There's a second part that we we get to hear about on that day, after he was in the tomb, after they had put him in this tomb, and his friends uh, watched, speaks about the ladies watching, and they went away because it was Passover, but they would come back after the Passover on Sunday with more spices and so on. But in part two, some of the uh, religious leaders go to Pilate, concerned. They want the tomb secured. They want to put a seal on the stone that was covering it. And they wanted a guard to be placed. It says guard, but in another, ver- uh, another area, as you talk about the resurrection, it speaks of soldiers. There was a number of soldiers. Remember, they bribed them uh, at the end. Pilate simply says in verse 65 here, uh, make it as sure as you can. Make it as secure as you can. That's fine with me. Good. But, as we'll see next session, no earthly seal, no God could hinder Christ rising from the dead. It was going to happen. Let's turn there briefly to Matthew. If you have your Bible, I, I don't have all the scriptures up here. I want to read some of this to you because it's quite interesting. This is man doing his best to prevent the purposes of God. But the next day, one, uh, one after the preparation day, this is now the Saturday, the chief priest. This is chapter um, 27 of Matthew, verse 62. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order. For the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. And the last deception, it will be worse than the first. Pilate said, take a guard, as it says there. Go make the tomb as secure as you can. So they went, verse 66. And they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone that covered it. And they posted a guard about it. This is taking place on that Saturday. Firstly, Jesus Christ died. And that's important because it plays much into the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Remember the first passage we looked at. Paul declares it to us clearly and strongly that Christ died. For our sins, according or foretold in the Word of God, foretold in the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was put into this uh, unused new tomb, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The burial of Jesus Christ, part one. I'm flying through this stuff. The burial of Jesus, part two, as we would see it, as we would read it in Matthew. And then putting them together, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. If you like a conclusion, but it's not the end of the story. 
He's not even close to the end of the story. Day two, the Saturday. It's important to the gospel that we know for sure that Jesus actually died, as we've been stating, and that he was buried for his resurrection depends on the reality of his death and his burial. Remember, three days that changed the world, but maybe it's better to say three days that changed eternity. Something's happening here. And as we heard this morning, yes, my sin sent him there. But yes, in God's purposes, in God's understanding and provision, love sent the Lord Jesus Christ there. And he actually died. And he actually was buried. And he's in that tomb. And astonishingly, the next day, which would be a Sunday, remember this is their day, um, their Sabbath day, Sunday they go to look. And uh, again, I'm not going to go into that now because we'll be there shortly. Something has happened. Three days. They change eternity. Let's pray. Father, quickly we've considered the death and the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, how we need to stop and meditate, ponder a life laid down. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, Lord, so great provision, the Lamb of God. We come and we ask you, oh, Lord, shake our worlds as we need at times an earthquake, the splitting of stones in our own minds and hearts. Oh, Lord, that we might be reminded that you have torn the curtain from the top to the bottom, that we might have access, but more is to come. We come and pray that you would Again, open our hearts and our eyes to the wonderful work of redemption, so great a salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name.